Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode 442 of the podcast and it's Saturday 27th of July 2019 as I record this. So in this episode I talk to Russell Blake and Michael Beverly about the changing landscape of self-publishing in the face of paid advertising. Now I don't often do these double interviews but this was well worth it. So if you don't know Russell is one of the old guard of indie which is is hilarious and such a new author movement really. But those of us who've been uh, indie since the early days and he was on the show in episode 247 way back in 2015 talking about writing fast. Now what's interesting in this episode is how things have changed. So Russell says he's not writing fast anymore and in fact on his blog since this, uh, since we recorded this, he said he's really just taking some time off. Uh, And in fact What he said is what's changed is rapid release and fast turnaround may work to get you moving. But if you ever want to slow down, you need to monetize your backlist. And what he's found is it's more about having this deep backlist, good read through and then paid ads. And uh, essentially, he's at the point, I guess, where he doesn't have to write any more books. He can just advertise his backlist. So this is very interesting because the... The sort of mainstream attitude within um, some of the indie world, obviously not everybody, but has been this sort of rapid release idea. And many of us, me included, are not uh, that type of writer. So it never suited us anyway. But this is really interesting. We also uh, have Michael Beverly on the show, who runs AMS AdWorks, which is a company that runs uh, AMS ads for people. Now, we talk about the importance of outsourcing. Now, I know that's tough when you're starting out because I certainly did everything myself for the first five, six, seven years of the journey. Um, And absolutely you should be doing everything yourself at the beginning because you don't have the budget to outsource. But there comes a point and you you will feel it because you'll feel, oh my goodness, if I don't do something, I'm going to go nuts. Um, When you get to that point, you will find a way to start outsourcing. And certainly that's something I've been doing now for four four years-ish, is outsourcing more and more of the stuff I don't want to do. So this is what we're talking about. Um, So Michael does Russell's ads. He's also doing my ads, my Amazon ads uh, at this point, and I'm really happy to let him run it. Um, And there'll be more services that do this over time. Now, I have 30 books. I have a 10-book arcane thriller series. So I have that deep series. I have a lot of books. So um, I realise that not everyone's in the same situation, but I want you to think about the broader aspects of our conversation, not any specific tactics. 
Because at the end of the day, it's about surfing the changes, not getting drowned by them. And I think Russell's attitude is great because, as I said, he's been around a long time and it's not about doing the same thing over and over again. It's about adapting to a new environment. So that is coming up. Bit of a longer intro, but that is coming up. In publishing and book marketing news, quite a few interesting things happened this week. The first thing is Audible announcing captions, which is, uh, according to them, using machine learning to transcribe audio, allowing listeners to read along with the narrator. And uh, this was reported in a number of places, but the uh, I actually took this from The Verge, which is a is not a publishing blog. And I think that's why I took it as um, where I'm getting my quotes from, because uh, this has really separated the author and publisher environment. I've seen authors who are not bothered by it at all. I've seen uh, pub, you know, pe- comments from people who I would have thought would have had an issue, didn't have an issue. And then there are um, people who are basically saying, this is fundamentally not right because they don't have the intellectual property rights to use this. So just a couple of things. Um, I mean, I use AI transcription for this podcast at trint.com and it's really fantastic. So I know that this uh, machine learning transcription will work, uh, but the, the question is, do they have the rights? So Audible says... The captions are small amounts of machine-generated text that are displayed progressively a few lines at a time while audio is playing. Listeners cannot read at their own pace or flip through pages as in a print book or e-book. So they're essentially saying it's not the same feature as a book. They wouldn't say which books would get the feature. Only titles that can be transcribed at a sufficiently high confidence rate will be included, which presumably to me means those that are WhisperSync because WhisperSync only happens if you do have good um, match between your written words and your audio. It's planning to release the feature in early September to roll out with 2019 school year. Uh, Penguin Random House uh, told The Verge that we have reached out to Audible to express our strong copyright concerns with their recently announced captions programs, which is not authorised by our business terms. an unauthorised and brazen infringement of the rights of authors and publishers. So this is really interesting because I I don't see this as taking anything away from the ebook version. In fact, when I buy an audiobook I, and I want a print version, I'll probably buy a uh, print. So I very rarely now buy an ebook plus an audiobook unless I want to get a deal on the audiobook. So um, I think as someone who likes a lot of audio now, and sometimes you listen to something and you're like, how, how do you spell that? <laughs> In a way, I would, I see the point for having transcribed words on a screen. And I do think that would be useful. So what I would probably prefer to see is a change in license for non-exclusive rights to AI transcribed text or something like that, uh, rather than this feature going away. So I, I don't think this is the end of it. And in fact, if this is something they open up to indies, 
I would probably opt in because I see it as a benefit to my audience and I don't believe it will impact my ebook sales. So because I think they are a completely different mode. Now, I, I agree that it is an infringement of copyright because it's printed, it's basically printed text or digital text when they have optioned the rights to the audio. So I see the problem, but I also see where they're going with it. So yeah, I would like to see a change in license and I would probably sign up for that. Other news, um, really interesting Another Amazon story this week is a big Amazon show. Uh, Dean Koontz, who I love Dean Koontz. And in fact, I just finished the fifth book in his Jane Hawke thriller series. It's techno thriller, sci-fi slash techno thriller. And it's brilliant and horror. I mean, he he is a a horror or everything he writes has an edge of horror, but it's brilliant series. And Dean Koontz has signed with Amazon Publishing in a five book deal. And this is the obviously lots of authors have signed with Amazon Publishing, but he's probably the biggest name to date. And it is a traditional publisher. And this is important because I had a lot of tweets and emails about this saying, oh, Dean Koontz going indie. No, Dean Koontz has signed with Amazon Publishing, which, which, are, uh, which is a traditional publisher with a number of traditional imprints, as in they are licensing the IP. It's it stays within the Amazon ecosystem. So this makes this an exclusive deal. Uh, Obviously, better contract terms. And in fact, Dean Koontz said, they presented a marketing and publicity plan smarter and more ambitious than anything I'd ever seen before. uh, I've been creatively rejuvenated. The times are changing and it's invigorating to be where change is understood and embraced which is like, ouch, to his previous publishers. Uh, This is an article in publishingperspectives.com, which is a great blog um, for keeping up with interesting stuff in the publishing industry. So I think this is interesting because Amazon publishing print books have generally been excluded from print bookstores in the US and the UK because of obvious reasons. (laughs) But I think if you're a fan of Dean Koontz, you are going to go into your local Barnes & Noble and your local independent bookstore and you're going to order the books because Dean Koontz has fans who buy every single book in hardback. Uh, So this is a very interesting, I think this may be the sea change that we that we see and Amazon publishing books may well be stocked in bookstores. I do think that uh, I haven't gone into this in too much detail, but there are sort of storm clouds ahead because of the various rulings that are being uh, investigated around Amazon and, you know, will they divest Amazon publishing at some point? Who knows? (laughs) But the changes continue to roll on. And my third article this week is on idealog.com, which is Mike Shatskin's blog. Now, Mike is a longtime publisher and commentator, and he comes from a publishing family. So he's long, long history in publishing. And he posts really interesting articles. And this week, he posted one uh, uh, titled, A Lot Has Changed in Book Publishing in the Last 10 Years. (laughs) And he says, growth of Amazon from less than a fifth of sales from most publishers to over half. So what he's basically saying is in the US, Amazon accounts for over half of book sales for publishers. And also he notes that through Ingram, 
a full print-on-demand and distribution infrastructure is available to anybody. And yes, that includes me and many indies who are using IngramSpark to reach readers around the world. And as I've mentioned before, uh, by using IngramSpark, I, my book sales have doubled and then doubled again in the last few years. So I love using IngramSpark. Uh, Mike also notes that Quote, a vast number of crowd-curated, self-published titles are available at prices no commercial enterprise can consistently match, replacing the idea that, in order for a book to sell, it really needed to be distributed by a legitimate publisher. So I, I love that, and I felt that Mike has been very open to the rise of self-publishing over the years and has acknowledged its, um, you know, the quality that we can put out and that we can can actually sometimes do better than traditional publishing and that there is really no need for, quote, a legitimate publisher when you can use things like Ingram Spark. So that's really fascinating. And I'm, I actually reached out to Mike after this article and said, I'd love to interview you for the podcast. And he said yes. So he's going to be coming on the show uh, in the next couple of weeks, probably, uh, because I, you know, he really is. <laughs> so knowledgeable. So that will be a fascinating interview coming up. He also comments on the Amazon publishing Dean Kuntz signing, if this is a sign of things to come, and it's hard to see why it wouldn't be, some profound changes might be just around the corner. So in keeping with, uh, you know, surfing the changes, it's not stopping people. (laughs) So we just have to Keep on keeping on, keep writing, keep making the most of the opportunities available for us. And as I say, I've said to quite a lot of people this week, actually, multiple streams of income to buffer yourself against the changes in the industry. In my personal update, I am doing all the final publishing tasks for Map of Plagues, my second Mapwalker fantasy, which is on pre-order and out this week, 1st of August 2019. And uh, very excited about that. I I feel like I go through waves, (laughs) in keeping with our metaphor, or cycles of fiction and non-fiction. And I feel like I definitely need to write the third in this series, Map of... It's called, what is it? Map of the Impossible. Yes, Map of the Impossible. I've got the cover. I know I know where, where it's going to start. I still don't really know where it's going to end, but it is a trilogy. I quite like writing a trilogy. I feel like that really works in fantasy. And yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing that trilogy. It it does need an end now. The second book does finish its story of Map of Plagues, but has a definite move into a third book. So I kind of feel like I need to write that, but I'm on a nonfiction tack <laughs> right now. So I'm finishing the publishing for Map of Plagues. I am recording my public speaking book and updating that in audio, doing some rewrites. Uh, it's not a significant edition, edition change. It will be a new edition, but... Um, if you have bought that book before in print or ebook, it won't be significantly different, uh, but it will be a new edition and re-editing for audio at the same time as doing my course on audio. I've also had a lot of meetings this week and have put together a business plan on getting back into German from uh, for my nonfiction. I am 
most likely to be at Frankfurt Book Fair this year. I'm going to have some meetings. Uh, I have been before once to Frankfurt Book Fair. It's the it's huge. It's so overwhelming, but I am ready to go back. And what's interesting is they are just having an author area. They're not separa- separating out self-publishing. The German people I've spoken to have said things have really changed since I was there. I think I was there in 2014 or 2015. So this is definitely going to be new. So at the moment, I'm having a busy Q th- Q3 and Q4 for me are a lot of learning. I'll be at the podcast movement. I will be in in Vegas for the Business Masterclass with Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush. And I'll be at Frankfurt Book Fair. So crazy times. (laughs) I also sent an email to my creative pen list this week and if you're not on that you can sign up at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint and talked about the surprising change in my self-definition after my eye surgery and again it gets better every day um, but it takes a while to stabilise as your eyes continue to heal uh, vision can keep shifting so I'm finding it some days are amazing and some days are difficult. Uh, the the ambient light makes a big difference or also how tired I am. I have bought a massive screen, a new massive screen, which is strange because I've been working on a 13-inch laptop for, what, eight years now? I've been working on 13-inch and I've moved to a really big screen. So... And that's just, again, I've talked about this before, it's a case of adjusting our tools to what we need at any given point. And if you have a problem, you can solve it. (laughs) I'm not going to break into a rap right now, but... um, if you're Generation X, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, But yes, there, there is this weird change going on. I have a pair of reading glasses. I feel like I'm accepting my recovery period slowly, that um, there are things you just have to be patient about, which I am so not patient. (laughs) But it's definitely made me question, how else have I defined myself that might be not serving me in the right way. And I challenged uh, people on my email list, and I will challenge you as well in this show. What have you decided about yourself that defines you in some way that perhaps you need to look at again? Or how can you see yourself in a different way? And this has definitely made me question what else I have held myself back with. So for example, I um, I haven't been yet, but I've put in my diary that I want to go to salsa classes. And I did salsa classes years ago, like 20 years ago, and I really enjoyed it. And then uh, I stopped for some reason and I haven't been since. And I haven't defined myself as someone who can dance. I enjoy, I define myself as someone who enjoys dancing, but uh, certainly not something I've focused on. And I was like, Do you know what? I think I should try that again because it gives me joy. So I'm going to go and do that. I am just trying to challenge my self-beliefs around things. So I hope that might help you today. What might you need to change about your writing? Uh, Thoughts about your writing? Quite a few people have emailed me saying that they've questioned some of their own attitudes. So yeah, hopefully that helps you today. What could you question about your, the way you see yourself? 
say thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. Um, Ingmar said, what an interesting interview. Now I want to check out Jason's stuff. Broad topics from flash fiction to pitching to ghostwriting. Nice interview, Joanna. Mr. Brick, you made a new fan. Fantastic. Uh, Thanks to Eileen, who shared how Flash can be a great warm-up. She recommends OneWord.com, which I had a go at and was really fun. Uh, Jennifer Carter said, thanks for making me laugh out loud with your zombie apocalypse logic for getting your eyes lasered. 100% agree. (laughs) It is amazing how many people have said to me, I I totally get that. (laughs) Uh, Natasha Boyd author says on Twitter, heard the best tip in all my years of searching and asking for the golden ticket of productivity on the podcast this week. Ready? Sit down. Here it is. When you are done for the day, resist the urge to finish the sentence. Uh, Which is definitely... It's not an original tip, but Natasha clearly needed to hear that. And sometimes we just need to hear the same thing again from a different source. So uh, that definitely works for some people. doesn't work for me. I really like to finish something. Like I'll finish a scene, for example. I like to work in in scenes when I write my fiction or chapters for nonfiction. So today's show is sponsored by my own courses for authors. Did you know I have courses? If you didn't, (laughs) you can check them out. I have courses on the writing craft, how to write nonfiction and also how to write a novel. Um, And those are, yeah, those are all about the writing craft. And then I also have productivity for authors and content marketing for fiction, which is uh, goes into all my failed attempts at content marketing for fiction and then how I built booksandtravel.page to provide a new content hub to promote my JF Pen brand with evergreen content that will attract my target readers and Brilliantly, uh, booksandtravel.page has far surpassed the traffic to jfpen.com within what, when did I launch it? April. So for four months, I have surpassed the traffic uh, that took me four or five years on jfpen. So I really feel like I made a lot of good decisions around booksandtravel.page, but it has taken me a long time to get there. So I, I share all of that in content marketing for fiction. And yes, I have a new course coming soon, audio for authors. And of course, if you are a patron, you get 10% off my courses. And this type of sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. Thanks to new patrons, reading and writing tips, Diane Scott, Rada Jones and Mark Graham and those people who have contributed and requested their names are not read out. Wonderful introverts. So uh, thank you, everybody. I really appreciate your support on Patreon. Like the tweets and emails, it demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. And uh, we're heading, we're heading to 500 shows, (laughs) which is crazy. You can support the show for a couple of dollars a month and you will get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which has all the backlist as well. So chock full if you need some extra summer listening, sign up at Patreon for just a few dollars and you'll get tons and tons more audio. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. 
Michael Beverly runs AMS AdWorks, which manages Amazon advertising for established authors. Russell Blake is the best-selling author of 60-plus novels, a happy customer and investor in AMS AdWorks. Welcome, Michael and Russell. Hey, good morning, Joanna. Thank you for having us on. Hi, Joanna. Always lovely to talk to you. Oh, indeed. And uh, for listeners of the show, Russell has been on the show before talking about writing fast. And that was a couple of years ago. Now you've got like a ton more novels. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do. And and by the way, you see, I'm trying to shame you into having me on more. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's worked, clearly. But um, Russell, I do want to start with you because you've been successfully self-publishing for eight years and you recently talked about that on your blog. So why get into doing more advertising at this point? Is having a large backlist not enough anymore? Well, um, would that it were enough. Um, the problem is that, at least as far as I can tell, and Michael is the expert, I'm not, but um, the problem I ran into about two years ago was that I noticed that my organic visibility was fading, and I couldn't understand exactly why. And then, you know, speaking to a bunch of other authors and doing research, um, I learned that, you know, Amazon was giving preferable visibility via advertising. So really the, 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 the landscape had transitioned from one where we got free as authors, we got free visibility via Elso Boss and via, via recommendations, et cetera, from Amazon to one where it became a pay to play game, which by the way, that's, that's the history of all um, markets, retail markets as they mature. So this market's matured, and now if you want visibility, if you want the end cap in the store, as an example, you need to pay for that position. Well, that's it occurred to me that was what was going on, but I'm lazy and also a Luddite, so I did not know anything about advertising, and I had no interest in learning. So I started looking around for somebody that could um, that could execute and um, after and I ultimately wound up with um, with Michael and he gave it the old college try and it worked spectacularly. So from that point on, we, we sort of developed a relationship. Um, I saw firsthand um, my sales, I want to say doubled to tripled over the course of the last year that he's been managing my ads. So that was a win. Um, my net has increased, my gross is, you know, through the roof. So, so I'm back to where I was in 2015, which was a pretty good year. Uh, so I became a convert. And then as I learned more and more about how Amazon changes its algorithms constantly and how whatever worked last week doesn't work this week, I became convinced that there would be a market for a company that was, um, an expert in doing just that for people like myself who who have no interest and no ability and no time to do it themselves. And if you just run a straight line calculation on what my per hour rate would be based on what I make off of novels and my other businesses, um, I'd be the, the most expensive ad guy on the planet. So it's just <laughs> not a, it's not, it's not something good for me to do. It's not a, a wise investment of my time. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so anyway, I came to the conclusion that other authors who are struggling with the same thing would need the services, the types of services that AMS AdWorks provides. And I twisted Michael's arm and convinced him to take some of my money and begin scaling it up, hiring people and expanding his offering. So that's the long version. Yeah, which is which is fantastic. Well, just a follow up question before I ask Michael some things. So are you still producing books at the rate that you used to or are you able to relax more? I mean, I know you love writing, but are you relaxing more and using (laughs) using the ads to kind of boost that, as you say, get get your income back up? Yeah, well, uh, it's an interesting question um, because the the operating paradigm I advanced for years and followed was you need to release a book about every six weeks or you're going to fall off of the charts and you're not going to, you know, your career is going to stall. Well, um, since I began advertising, I haven't put out a book in four months, five months, and my sales are, you know, up from where they were four or five months ago. So to answer your question that way, um, I don't I don't feel like I really need to write more than one or two books a year now. Whoa. So in other words, <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was averaging eight books a year for eight years. So what that means to me is I have a large chunk of my life back and I can devote more time to quality and to, to, you know, thinking through more engaging and evolved plots, which I think most of my critics will agree, you know, probably a good thing. Um, And, and, you know, it's been very freeing. I think it's like, you know, when you, when you get a maid and you discover you don't need to scrub toilets anymore, it's like, oh, a revelation. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, let's, you know, Nora Roberts scrubs her own toilets. So some people enjoy scrubbing their own toilets and I recommend that, you know, super duper. Um, I don't. So for me, this has been, this has been a godsend and that's why I put my mouth, my money where my mouth was. I was like, if I like this this much, I bet you there's other people that do too. Yeah, absolutely. And I am someone who also pays for a cleaner and his name's Luke and I love him. (laughs) So Michael, we are are saying we're not calling you the maid. We are bringing you in as a very valued, (laughs) a very valued person (laughs) as as all maids actually are. Um, So let's talk about um, ads because... The, it's. It seems to me. I mean, I think hopefully we're all at a point now where we accept that it's necessary. As as Russell has said, the organic reach has pretty much gone. But when are Amazon ads most effective? Because it's not just a case of slapping them on, is it? No, not at all. And that's a mistake. A lot of people think that they can do this. The most effective is a deep series with full length and full price books for the genre and enrolled in Kindle Unlimited. That gives the most effective bang for the buck. And it's one of the reasons why, for instance, Jet did so well. The deep series is really required for the read through and to generate the ROI required for how competitive the market is right now. Um, Ads will also be more effective in the sense they'll serve more. You'll get more impressions in the big popular genres. However, there's also more competition and higher prices. At At the end of the day, it just comes down to quality. Quality writing, which leads a reader through your series, and a quality product, meaning covers, blurbs, the product page, that makes ads effective. The, the ad itself is, is only going to be effective as what it's advertising because the ad itself doesn't sell the product. The product sells the product. Fantastic. So explain what is a deep series? Well, from the 
advertising perspective, I generally recommend somebody have more than five books. Like if you have two, three, a trilogy, or you have multiple standalones, it's very, very difficult to get traction. Now, that doesn't mean you can't advertise some of these things, but the scale that you can do it is much lower. Readers love series. This is true in trad publishing. It's been true for back all the way back to Pulp Fiction days. People like series. So you just get higher conversion rates, you get higher click-through, and you get more interest the deeper your series is. It's very similar to when you see something you like come out, say, on Netflix, but you don't watch it until it gets to season three or four because why? You don't, you don't want to get invested emotionally if it's not going to continue. So the deeper series, obviously, if you have 25 or 30 books highly rated with thousands of reviews in a you know, a popular like, you know, a YA romance vampire series, that's going to be easier to monetize than four books and you're a new author. This is just, the, this is just a reality that hasn't changed with or without advertising. It's just advertising now means you're spending money, you're investing your hard-earned dollars in trying to recoup a, a profit. And if your series aren't deep enough and the quality's not there, that money generally is, ends up being wasted or your return is going to be very low. Yeah, fantastic. So also read through, I think, um, I mean, obviously I've had Mark Dawson on the show and read through is a, uh, something that I struggle with. Now, Russell also mentioned there about not being that interested in it, you know, leaving it to someone else. I, I do feel the same way. Like I, as you know, because you've been doing some ads for me, I don't know my read through. I don't know how to calculate it. And many authors listening will be in the same boat. So without getting kind of too mathsy, too techy, is there any way for authors to figure out read through so that they can decide on whether ads uh, are, are working? Well, the simplest way is just to look at the, the money for book one and then compare it to the money for book two. And it's just a simple division problem. If, you, if you're making $10 a day on book one and you're making $8 a day on book two, you, that's 80%. You, and as you follow that through, through your series, you can see. Now, generally speaking, what happens is from book one to book two, you'll have a bigger drop off because not everybody that tries your book likes it. But as they go through book three, four, or five, you'll see the read-through rate be very high. So the money that you're making on, say, book seven, eight, or nine, it shouldn't decrease too much in books nine, ten. Like if somebody's that invested in your series and your writing style, they can they tend to continue to read it. Now, to on the ad side of it, to make the calculations real simple, the, the most basic way is just to look, what am I spending? And what is the whole series returning to me? And then you can do a simple calculation of, hey, I'm making more money and what's the percentage? Generally speaking, it's pretty binary if you're going to advertise. Binary meaning, am I making money? If the answer is yes, continue. If I'm not making money, stop and figure out what's wrong and fix it or make adjustments so that I am making money. Mm. Um, and if I, if I can jump in here um, from the author perspective, um, you know, I, I can use Jet as an example. I mean, I think that's got 17 books, including the, uh, the two prequels. And it gets, you know, I mean, it's easy for me to go, okay, you know, 65 or 70% of all readers who read book one then go on to book two, because I can see that from the dollar standpoint, but it can take six months to, to uh, truly understand what your read through is when you start an advertising campaign. And, you know, it's a difference between being able to say a reader of Jet One is worth $28 to me, you know, net, because 
80% will read book two. Of that 80% that moves to book two, 65 to 70% will read book three through seven, and then there's a drop off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you add all the money together, and that reader of book one, on average, is worth whatever number it is. I don't think most readers think in terms of that, and they're in, or most authors think in those terms, and they, they certainly aren't patient enough to you know, consider long tail over three, six, nine months. But when you look at it that way, it changes the entire ROI of your advertising. Now, I'm a simple man, so I don't spend a lot of time on that equation. I just look at it as in any six-month period, you know, am I making more than I was six months prior? And after deducting Michael's fee and deducting the cost of the ad, it's real simple. Yeah. And so I don't even get it granular. I don't even go into the... The, the long tail and, and all of the rest of it. I just look at it in terms of, you know, what am I making now versus what was I six months ago, net of fees and advertising. Mm. Yeah, which I like because I'm pretty similar. Like, I don't know how many books I have sold volume wise. I just look at my money every month. And I mean, that's, you know, just keep creating because uh, it's fun and makes some money. But I do want to ask you, Russell, because um, as Michael just said, books in KU do better. And um, I'm like, obviously, everyone knows from this podcast, I'm an advocate of wide publishing. Um, wh- so you're obviously in KU for your ebooks. What What are your thoughts on KU and do you do you do wide for print and or audio? Um, well, I, I make six figures off of audio, so I, I love audio. Um, not all of my books are in KU. Uh, I don't know what the number is that are wide, but you know it's probably maybe twenty percent of my books are wide. Um, just to keep a presence there. Mm. But, you know, when I look at KU, I'm not a fan. I mean, I I look at it like the dollar. It's like terrible, but it's the least terrible of all currencies. So it's kind of like the devil, you know, you don't want to dance with that devil because really it's it's somewhat destructive. I've written blogs about how I believe that Kindle Unlimited devalues um, literature. Not that I produce literature, but um, it devalues content um, because it trains the reader, it conditions them to believe that content is free, um, because to them it appears to be free. And over time, I think that's a corrosive effect um, from an author perspective. Having said that, I can't ignore the economics. So when I look at my what my overall earnings before I put everything into Kindle Unlimited and after, um, it's significantly higher. You know, I I don't blame Amazon so much for doing what they're doing. I blame their competitors for not being better. I think that's the way I would frame it. I blame Apple, who had, I don't know how many opportunities to bury Amazon. I mean, they've got the scale. They've got the money. They've got the platforms. So they could have really rendered Amazon to be a second-rate player in this, but they didn't. Mm. Um, I blame Barnes & Noble. Because, oh, don't blame them. You know, blame ha- Google. <laughs> well, I, I, I blame, I, you know, I blame Amazon's competitors for not being better. I guess mm. that's that's the way I look at it because I, I read, you know, all the usual author, um, um, you know, the, the message boards, etc. And I see a lot of authors blaming Amazon. Evil Amazon is doing this and that and the other. And, and I just look at that because I've got a background in business. That's just business. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody that expects their channel or their, their distributor to be a cuddly teddy bear that's working on their side just doesn't understand the inherently adversarial nature of business. So I don't blame Amazon for basically coming up with a program that devalues content and uses it as a loss leader to drag eyes to their site. So people become conditioned to buying, you know, widgets and toilet paper and headphones through it. And overall, they make more money, especially if authors are willing to throw their content in there and participate. I don't blame them for doing that because it's a brilliant move. Um, and it was inevitable, but you know, so it's just like, I don't blame them for, for removing the organic visibility and replacing it with a pay for play system via advertising. It's just smart business. Mm. Now, what it does do is it effectively converts our, our meaning authors. Um, it effectively, it slashes our margin by at least half or more. And you've probably seen that. I've seen that. If you calculate it on a per unit basis, if you sell 100,000 books before, maybe you saw $300,000. Now, you know, to make $100,000, $125,000, you have to sell the same number of books. And because you have to spend the rest of it on advertising. So it's been a very effective way of reducing our margin to more like 30% from the 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 purported 70% that nobody ever saw. It was more like 60% with the blended averages and everything from international, et cetera, and download fees. But let's say from 60, it took it to 30 Mm -hmm. because you have to put the other money into advertising or you're just not going to sell any books. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, we're in a different time, but also, as you say, this is entirely normal retail practice. So I do want to come back to, yeah. And I do want to come back to Michael. Um, so Michael, just in terms of some interesting things that people might find useful, have you noticed any differences between genres or stores like the U S versus UK or storefronts? Um, what, what are some of the interesting things you've discovered through doing big name authors like Russell Blake? Well, one of the things that's that's both obvious and but also has a lot of subtlety is the difference in the genres. They're vastly different in the quantity demanded by the readership. So your big genres, romance, thrillers, which obviously have many, many subgenres, you you just have a bigger audience. So there's more, the ads will move more, you can move more product. Now the methodology for success stays the same. And so that's probably the one thing that I can tell people with confidence that whatever genres you're working in, the methodology of the ads and the methodology of creating a good product don't change. So like, it doesn't matter if you're writing contemporary romance or a children's book or a, a cozy Oxford tea mystery with a cat as the lead character. The audience will be different, but the methodology goes back to, it reminds me of a, a Hugh Howey quote and a really Uh, well-received blog he wrote about like how to become a writer. And one of the things he said is look around in the genre and you must be the best, hardest worker of in this group room. Everyone that's fighting for the readers in that genre work harder than them. That's like that. This is the number one rule. So with, with the advertising coming into it, it magnifies this in the past. You could have a subpar cover and still get traction. You were getting organic visibility and the supply side was less. Now the supply side, meaning the writers, 
There are more of them. They're more professional. They're more seasoned. So the competition's more. And when you're advertising, you're not just putting your sweat equity. Before, when you wrote a book, most of your investment was your time. You, you would pay a little for a cover and, and maybe editing and a few things. But now there's a big cost in the ads and that is money you're risking. So if the, if the product quality isn't up to par, it's going to be very, very difficult. And so now if you're already in a genre and, you, and you're writing what you love, the thing is to, to be the best you can be in that. Now, if you're coming at this like you're planning and you're not sure what to write, then this is an entirely different question going back to – you know, right to market or how, what should I pick? That's a whole nother sub talk, sub talk. Yeah. That's not an advertising question. That's right. a, that's a, what should I write and why question? Exactly. So in what I've noticed in the advertising is that in the big, in the big giant genres, the number of impressions that you can get is astronomical in the smaller genres. Like if you're trying to advertise into a smaller genre, it's much more, uh, difficult to get the same volume. There's just not as much as many searches on that. Um, so, uh, to to reiterate, it's all about the quality of the product, the offering, it, it, regardless of the genre you're in. This is true whether you're fighting up in the biggest thriller markets against, you know, like the the Lee Child, Jack Reacher type series, or you're in contemporary, you're you're trying to go for the Fifty Shades of Grey crowd, or in your the fantasy Harry Potter group. Though. It's all. It's always going to be going back to the quality. The the algo. This was the fascinating thing about the algorithms. I believe Amazon tracks very carefully how many readers go through it. This is especially true with Ku. How many readers finish your book one? That matters. How many readers go to and buy book two? That matters. And the reason it matters in the ads is because Amazon is monetizing the space. If they can spell, sell an ad space to you for a dollar a click or author B for a dollar a click, they don't just look at that dollar. It's not like you can bid another penny and beat the other author out. If that other author has 20 books and their read-through is fantastic, they can actually get that click for 80 cents on the dollar. And, you, and in order to overcome that, you got to bid really high which now becomes a losing proposition because you don't have the deep series and the long. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's actually so, no, a so what's Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so, so you're saying you're saying, and we, I think we've seen this. You're saying that Amazon looks at the entire net effect of a series, like my series Jet, as an example that you advertise. That they'll go, okay, you know, X number will go to book two, X will go to book three, X will finish the series. Therefore, that impression that turns into a click that then turns into a sale is worth twenty nine or thirty five or whatever dollars to us versus, you know, Joe Schmo, who's got five book series, you know, and has not so great read through, maybe worth $7 to them. They're obviously going to favor the $30 um, profit every single time, which is smart. Yeah. And just to take that further, that's very, very good point is that one of the things I've heard from people who don't like paid ads is that they think paid ads mean that crap books will sell more. But what you're basically saying is, yeah, you could throw loads of money at a crap book, but the algorithm will eventually work out that readers are not you know, enjoying that or not, that they're not going to make money that way. And so they are more likely over time to surface the ones that people are buying. So does that mean that there is, and let's not call it quality, let's just call it readers are enjoying this book. <laughs> that does yeah. mean that, doesn't it, over time? 
Yes, absolutely. When I say quality, that's exactly what I mean. I'm not, I'm not making a comment. Popularity. The, the, yes. Yeah, popularity, the, yeah. It, in other words, it's, it's meeting the expectation of the readers in that subgenre. Mm. And it, I have seen it even more. Uh, this might surprise you, Joanna, but I have actually, I actually had a client in which I tried to dissuade from starting. I said, look, you need to work on stuff more. And he really, really wanted to try it. And we, so we did, of course, I'm, I'm not going to refuse somebody that really wants to try. We couldn't get Amazon to take his money. Like his, his ad spend, he, we were lucky to be able to spend $2 a day and we were trying very hard. And the reason is, is because the algos recognize that even if he's bidding $2 a click, the net profit from letting him have that space loses Amazon money. They're going to give that space to somebody that has read through and Mm. a higher reader satisfaction. So, so it's an important thing to keep in mind. You can't, you cannot bully a poor product into uh, visibility for very long. Now yeah. people may comment on, Hey, that's not my style or I don't like the writing. But if the readers of that genre are buying that book, it will continue to get visibility and Amazon will, the, those ads will get better relevance and they'll actually serve at cheaper prices. Mm. So can you just comment on um, fiction versus nonfiction? Because I, you know, when you've seen, well, you've been also doing my ads too for nonfiction, but we've had a lot more success in inverted commas with nonfiction because it's so much easier to target nonfiction readers. So any thoughts on fiction, nonfiction? Well, yes, if you have a good a, a good nonfiction catalog, some of the same rules apply, like series do better than standalones or short things. You want to have a read through. It also helps tremendously if your nonfiction is leading to something outside of Amazon that you're monetizing. Now, all that to be said, the, the, the general rules apply, good covers, good blurbs, uh, good reviews, all, all the products still matters. Now, the reason that nonfiction in the right genres does well with ads right now is just because the competition is a lot less. You're not bidding against a thousand people like if you're in uh, a hot genre, whatever people think is hot, whether it's lit RPG, military, sci-fi, or, or whatever is hottest in the romance genre at the time, whether it's uh, billionaires or shapeshifter bears. Wh whatever is hot is always going to be more expensive and harder. So the, the nonfiction doesn't tend to have the same sort of up and down trends. Like it's not like next week and next week in romance, maybe a certain thing will start becoming hot. That doesn't change as fast in the nonfiction and nonfiction books sell like this has been true in trad public for many, many years. People buy uh, nonfiction books. A lot of nonfiction books, especially in the information stuff, also sell in paperback and you end up with a lot a, a lot more customer loyalty, I think, too, in terms of mm. following the whole program. Yeah, absolutely. And I, also, no, they, sorry, can, sorry, Russell. Uh, no, if I can interject an important point I haven't heard, you know, Michael talk about, but that I, I sort of discovered early on just as a, as a breakthrough. Um, and I remember, I'm not that smart, so it takes me a while. Um, advertising cannot sell your book. It can't. It, that doesn't, that's not the purpose of an ad. An ad's purpose on Amazon is solely to get the potential reader to the product page. And the product page then sells them the book. So you have to look at it as staged. The purpose of advertising is to create a funnel and get as many people as humanly possible to your product page. If the product page then, you know, is, is interesting, if the blurb is good, if the cover is exciting, if you've got good reviews, if your look inside is literate, 
um, et cetera, then those impressions and clicks to your product page will translate into sales. So I think it's really important because it took me a while to get that, that the purpose of the ad is not to sell my freaking book. It cannot do that. The purpose of the ad is to um, generate traffic to your product page and get you visibility. And at that point, it's up to the product to sell itself, not the ad. The ad's out of the picture at that point. Yeah, yes, absolutely. The the number one thing that your ad is on the way Amazon is set up right now is the cover. That's what people see first. It, it's an emotional trigger. So the cover itself will generate a click. Now, one thing I would – a slight correction to what you just said. The what? Per- <laughs> yes, I know. I, this very rarely happens. What, you, How you said, dare you? You said you want to get as many people – uh, clicking as possible. I, I would I put a slight caveat on that. You don't want a lot of people clicking that aren't the right target because you'll just spend money on clicks and they won't buy. Um, I've seen this happen sometimes with very interesting covers that uh, it, they tend to be sexual covers, like a, like people click on it, they're interested, but they're not. They don't read in that genre necessarily. That that becomes the kiss of death because you spend a lot of money on clicks, but you don't convert. So I, mostly, what you said is mostly right. It's just part of our job on the advertising side is to make sure that we're targeting properly so you're not generating interest to people that are just curious. You're generating interest to people that actually read the genre you're advertising. Yeah, qualified prospects. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll buy yeah. that. Okay, so um, so this does come back to right to market because this is something I've been thinking about because I in the last year I have met people who are writing in what in in previous years have been described as you know in quotation marks terrible genres for sales for example literary fiction or children's picture books which are very difficult for indies to to sell in the old model because they don't write you know eight per year um, the high volume model doesn't necessarily work. Um, but they are now doing incredibly well with advertising because there are hardly there's hardly anyone else advertising in those markets. So are we at a point where right to market has changed to right to advertise and people will be looking for niches that are under advertised in order to make ROI? Yes. Um, who is the question directed to? Either one of you, but let Michael let Michael answer first and then you and then you, Russell. Okay. Yes, people are going to be doing this. Now, the, the next question to follow up that, is it wise? It's, this, it's very similar to the right to market problem. If you jump into uh, a, a romance category or a sci-fi category that's hot at the time only because of that, you have to remember that this hotness is not only potentially going to end, but that hot genre is going to really, really drive up supply. Now, one thing going back to the children's books and say the literary fiction – one thing that I don't see a lot now is the trads advertising and, and fighting for space on the SP carousel and in other places. Um, that could change tomorrow. We don't know. Like We don't know the inner workings of everybody else that could enter the market. So if you were to come into the market only because you saw, hey, this is a good advertising, you're, you have the same inherent risk that you do if you decide you're going to write a shapeshifter dragon romance, MC club because that's hot right now in romance. Um, yes, it can be very, very profitable if you're on the front end, but it has an inherent risk that it could end quickly. And it also has the problem if you're writing into to a genre that you don't read, 
and don't care about, your quality is likely to suffer. And you might also drive yourself crazy because you're, you're writing something that you don't want to do. I think I, I think I'm yeah, more, thanks. Thanks I think, for giving away my uh, my next my next series concept there uh, with the dragon shapeshifter romance uh, tough guy. Thank you. Yes. Well, I, I you should there, shelve that right now. <laughs> there, yeah, there goes that market opportunity. Another million dollar idea down the drain. <laughs> but and, any thoughts on that, Russell? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm probably the worst guy in the world to talk to about right to market because, um, you know, I, I just look at it from a very commonsensical way. The, most of my readers in the thriller genre, for instance, um, have probably read a thousand books by the time they get to mine. So they've got a lot of depth. They've, they've read for, for decades in that genre. So if somebody comes in and they don't have that thousand book, you know, the 10,000 hours, if you will, of, of expertise for the genre norms and all of that in the genre, they're probably going to fail because they simply don't understand what at a, at a, at a basic level, a seminal level, instinctive level, what works and what doesn't. So I'm not sure that being quote unquote right to market guy is all that smart unless you really, really, really have depth in that market. So that's mm. one thing I would say um, on the right to, to market to advertise. Yeah, it makes it it makes great sense. I mean, companies do focus groups all the time to see, hey, what do you think of this versus that? Um, the problem being that this is content. So. You know, if you're going to try to cherry pick genres based upon your competitors, um, you know, advertising budgets, boy, I mean, you know, how do you write compelling content in that genre? I mean, I don't I, I wouldn't be able to do it. No. Well, I think what I'm, I'm I think I'm saying two things. I'm encouraging in the last five years of indie, the established wisdom has been write in a popular genre where there are a lot of pe readers and write a lot of books. But as you've said, things yeah. have changed. So now what I'm saying is I'm encouraging those people who write already write in genres that have been potentially they might have felt in the past that they were not able to make money as an indie in specific genres. But now I think there's more opportunity than ever. So that's one thing. It's a very positive thing if you already write and maybe you have a backlist in another genre. But secondly, this is what I see coming in terms of, you know, we've seen scammers with KU flooding niches with crap books. So it may be that we're going to see the next round of of scams uh, or, you know, people flooding KU in under advertised markets. That's that, those are kind that, of two that things. Could be. Hmm. That, that could be. But um, I'm, I'm a great believer that um, at the end of the day, my grandmother used to love to say that, you know, at the end of the day, price is forgotten, but quality isn't. Well, you know, that's my, my philosophy when it comes to the pulp mill approach, which, hey, get a bunch of ghostwriters and just cram a bunch of, you know, tentacle porn onto KU and see what happens. Um, at the end of the day, those are fads and fad curves tend to drop off like a cliff. So, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. And I think, yes, there will be opportunities there to to cherry pick genres that are underserved from an advertising standpoint. And if you already have depth in them to to, you know, to 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 capitalize on your competitors not being particularly smart or fast to move. But 
I, I wouldn't recommend that as a career because what are you going to do, you know, nine months in when everybody else is doing the same thing and the fad curve collapses and mm-hmm. suddenly your can't fail business model that you're pouring a ton of money into because you're advertising. What happens when, when that stops? Because they always do. I have yet to see a, a pulp mill approach actually be sustainable over a period as long as I've been writing. Let me put it that way. In the eight years. Now, I, I will qualify that with there are some people who employ ghostwriters who um, write to specific markets. I can think of one who's dominated the, the you know, number one and number two position on Amazon for at least four or five years. Um, who does a reasonable job of delivering on expectations and is a brilliant marketer. So can it be done? Sure. But that's no different than James Patterson, you know, putting out 14 books a year, which are all co-written, quote unquote. And, um, you know, he's just very good at, at delivering to the genres that he's in. I'm not sure most people are all that good at that. Mm, no, I, mean, I, I think I there's agree. a reason there's yeah. only one James Patterson. Yes, I, I agree. And I think what we're coming back to is the positive stance, as as you said at the beginning, as as I have as well, as someone who's been self-publishing for 10 years, is write what you love, uh, put some ads on it because you kind of need to nowadays. <laughs> uh, don't try yeah. and scam things. I mean, we're, but what's nice, I think, is I don't, a- advertising has changed things a little bit, but it doesn't change the fundamentals, which are write a good book, do have a good cover, um, you know, treat your readers nicely uh so these things haven't changed but we're we're almost out of time so i do have one more question um michael so what is really interesting to me i'm pretty obsessed with ai at the moment and i was reading one of the amazon marketing uh pages around the auto targeting and one of their sales pages basically said you do not need to speak the language to advertise in these other markets you can use our auto targeting say if i have a book in um, French, which of course I do have books in French, I could just put the auto-targeting ads on those books without having to know French. So I want to know, what do you think about the auto-targeting aspect of ads and will it put you out of a job in the next couple of years? (laughs) Well, the the easy answer to that is no, and, and here's why. And what's happening right now on the SP manual ads, which they call the manual in, in only because you're selecting the just, category. Just say, what, what is SP? You need to be specific. That, that, okay. The sponsored product ads, which are the automatics, you target those towards a subgenre. I think the last count, there was over 8,000 on Amazon that you can, the, the way that they categorize, the way their algos look. Right now, and this could change tomorrow, but right now, the, those category ads, we use them for testing and research, but not for profit. The bid prices on those is through the roof. And the AI is gladly taking people's money and just there. It's not mature yet. So I'm not sure what Amazon's plan is. But right now, it's very similar to back in January when lock screens first came out and everybody went mad over them. And basically, almost everybody was losing money except for a few people. That's toned down a little bit. It might in this. So the, the problem with AI is Whose AI is it? Well, in this case, it's Amazon's AI. So if you give over your decision-making to Amazon's algorithms, guess who Amazon is trying to make rich? It's not you. Like, they don't mind if you come along for the ride. 
but their primary objective is is to monetize for them. So what we're seeing in the category ads is way, way, way overbid. And you can do, when I look through some of the sponsored uh, ads, sometimes I'll see really, really misplaced. Like, and I'll wonder why is somebody on the front? Cause I know they're paying a really high premium for this, for this ad on this. It's a completely wrong target. And the answer is somebody's decided to let the automatic stuff do it. So in the future, to, to, to end the question, in the future, yes, maybe AI will be writing the novels themselves and marketing them. They will all be out jobs. But for the very foreseeable future, it takes a human to adjust the spend, modify the targets so that you're optimizing your profitability. And, and right now, the automated part is a helpful tool. But if you just rely on it by itself, you'll, you'll tend to waste a lot of money. Mm. No, I mean, I agree in that we've we've in the past uh, used the auto targeting to kind of get a whole load of keywords that might have pinged, but then moving that into other things. So it is a, it is a really interesting prospect. Now, uh, final question, then. Um, obviously, many people listening are going to be interested, as Russell and I said up front, using an outsource service like your own. Um, so just give us a sense of um, what AMS AdWorks does and what type of clients are right for the service. Okay, so what we do is we manage the the thing on Amazon that many people don't want to touch and free up the time for the authors to get more product to market, which is paramount to success, quality and quantity. If you don't have good quality and you also don't have a big catalog, the advertising is very, very difficult. So our value proposition is we take the time and we, we do the time at, at a a rate and a price in which your time, like Russell had explained earlier, is more, you know you're gonna make more money getting more books to market, so that's where you should be spending your time. Now, the ideal client for us is gonna have somewhat of an established backlist and they're gonna have somewhat of a, a predictable income coming in for new releases. Like it's not perfect, but you know if you release into this series, you're gonna make more money because you've done it already. So getting that next book out is way more uh, a more valuable use of your time than spending it on this. Uh, another type of client is just somebody that just hates the data. They hate the monotony of it. They don't want to track anything. And so what we do is we just take that off your hands. Now, as you know, I, I'm I think I'm pretty good at communicating to people whatever whatever questions they ask of me. So I like to I like to be as transparent. Or I have some clients that don't want to talk to me ever. They just want to know <laughs> what goes in the machine and what comes out. Yeah. That, that would be me, by the way. That, that's <laughs> me, Joanna. I don't really care about excuses and reasons and rationalizations. I just care about, you know, do this. That's it. That's all I want to do. That's, that's all I care about. Yeah, fantastic. What any other thoughts, Russell? On um, what I, I guess what I want to make clear is I I know a lot of people will be keen, but I want to also put off the people that this doesn't necessarily suit. So any other thoughts? Well, from I mean, one of, the, one of the things that, that Michael's good at is basically not um, not bullshitting you. Um, he, he's not going to take on clients he doesn't really think that he can do anything for because he's got, you know, he's got a waiting list. So it's not like, oh, let's get a bunch more clients and just, you know, grind through them and then disappoint everybody. So 
Um, I think, you know, if you've got, if you've only got a few books, if the books, you know, aren't professionally written and edited and, and covered, et cetera, et cetera, you probably just aren't a good candidate for AMS ads and you may not be a good candidate to be an author. So I, I would, I would, I would frame it that way. No, I mean, it's just very simple. So, so the larger your backlist and the more readable it is, um, all advertising does is increase your visibility. That's it. So if, if, if more, if more visibility on a poorly generated product um, or poorly crafted product um, is not going to increase your sales necessarily, because it still sucks. And I think going to your foreign language thing, you know, instinctively, I would go, yeah, there's probably some segment of Germans, for instance, who will buy English language books based upon your advertising in Germany. But uh, to throw any serious money at that, I'd have to really believe that that's a, you know, that's a viable market because otherwise it's like, what is good? You know, I, okay. <laughs> the product simply doesn't fit the market. So I don't know the answer to that, but that's just instinctively my reaction. And it's just on that country. I just, a uh, part of the way I asked that 7% of my book sales revenue this year comes from Germany for books in English. So that that was very surprising to me. And I don't do any Amazon ads or anything. That That's purely through this podcast and my blog. And, that's wild. Uh, yeah, exactly. Congratulations. It's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So I think um, I want to wrap this up. And uh, I also just want to be really clear. I am a happy client of AMS AdWorks. I'm not an affiliate. Um, so I wanted Michael and Russell to come on the show because I think they have interesting stuff to share with you guys, my audience. Um, I'm not receiving any kickback. So this is not just an advertorial. This is meant to be useful. So I hope you found this really useful. But um, Michael, if people do want to talk to you about whether they're a, a you know, potential client, how do they get in touch with you? They can jump over to the amsadworks.com and uh, they have an email there. It's the info email and they can just send me an inquiry, introduce themselves, give me a link to their author central uh, maybe explain a little bit about their catalog and then I'll be happy to take them to the next step, give them some information about whether I can be helpful or whether I think uh, they need some more work to do. As, as Russell said, I don't like to work with clients that I know we're going to have a, no chance to succeed yet. Now, I have had some people come to me when they were at, say, book four or five, and I said to them, look, call me or write me in four or five months when you're at seven or eight. And those people did end up becoming clients in that situation. So I'm happy to answer those questions like, hey, you need to get to here. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I have found you incredibly good at answering my, let's face it, stupid questions. So you've been just great at helping someone who's not very data minded. So um, Russell, just tell everyone where they can find you and your books online. I am everywhere. No, you can you can go to if you want to read my blog, it's russellblake.com. Um, if you want to find me on Facebook where I post rants and pretty much anything I'm thinking about, it's I think the it's russell.blake.books, but you can just search my name, Russell Blake. Um, trying to think, is there anything else? Some of my books are available wide on all platforms. Many of them are exclusive to Amazon and Kindle Unlimited right now. So you can just go to the Amazon page and, and check out my author page and see how many I've written. I, I forgot. I don't even know. I know it's more than 60, but it may be 65. It may be 63. 
I don't even know how many books I've got out there anymore. So. <laughs> Fantastic. And I do enjoy your blog. And um, I, yeah, it's great to have you back on the show. So thank you both for your time. This has been great. Thank you so much, Joanna. Thanks for having me, uh, Joanna and, and Michael. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with Russell and Michael today and that it got you thinking about your attitude to change, how self-publishing has changed, how the business changes and also made you think about ads, of course, but also outsourcing and the fundamentals of what you need to run an author business for the long term. So next week, I'm talking about content marketing strategy with Pamela Wilson, which is actually a great transition because ads are spike traffic. You stop paying, you stop selling. And so they're not evergreen. You have to keep running them in order to keep selling. Now, I'm happy to outsource that because as far as I'm concerned, it really is. Yeah, you just have to do it. And I don't want to spend my time doing stuff like that. So outsourcing is great. But I love content marketing. It is what I love to do with my time. And I feel Uh, like this show is content marketing and I feel like it is of benefit to you. Many of you have told me it is helpful to you on its own. So it's not just marketing. It's also wonderful, useful content uh, on its own merit. And that's what I love about content marketing. Books and travel, same thing. I have a podcast there that I enjoy doing for its own sake. So it's completely different form of marketing. It's creative and it keeps selling years after you create it. So I know it works because it's how I've built my business. So we will be talking about that next week. Happy writing. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.